Holy Father, you are uh, indeed very generous to us and given to us so many good things. You've given to us another week and and uh, things we're able to experience, uh, to do, and learn. And Lord, you've uh, brought us again to this place. And I ask that you would open up our minds and our understanding that we may be able to uh, see from your word the things that uh, we need to see. May your spirit teach us and, and guide us to truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, have you ever taken the action you were sure you would never take? Very sure you would never take. Today we're going to be looking at Peter's denying uh, Christ. Uh, he was sure he would never do that. And uh, one of the things in, in dealing with this subject uh, today, uh, looking at, at Peter's um, actions at this particular part of his life, uh, as I you know, was looking into it, um, really had that sense of, of of the feeling that this is how we are. This is this is so human. This is how I am. This is how we are. There there are things that um, we can be so determined about and so confident that we would never do. But when something unexpected happens. And we get thrown into this state of, of confusion or uh, uh, even despair, maybe. Um, we end up doing that thing that we said we would never do. And, and it's a very um, dramatic uh, moment in, in Peter's life. And it's very teachable for all of us. And, and, and how his journey through that and how Jesus dealt with it is, is what we'll be looking at today. Um, so I think this is going to be a real blessing for all of us. We're, we're in this series uh, called The Church Begins. We've been journeying from Genesis chapter 1, uh, going through uh, how what God's plan is in, in dealing with humanity, really the gospel from the very beginning and how it's, it's been being um, developed and being expressed to humankind. And so in this uh, quarter, we're looking at at the beginning of the church, and so we're dealing with with what <coughs> what Christ did to get this started, uh, to bring light to the world. Uh, some of the topics uh, we have been looking at and will be looking at in this quarter are up there. Before we uh, get into today's, I do want to review a little bit from last week. And last week's really does bear a little bit on, in fact, quite a bit on what we uh, will be covering today. Because it sort of sets the, the, the stage. Uh, dealing with the, the six trials um, of Jesus. And it's in the second and third trial stage of all of this that Peter's denials come. And uh, so uh, we want to kind of reset the stage for that. But remember when Jesus was arrested, he was taken by um, the soldiers to the palace of Annas, who was the, uh, the former high priest. He was the bigwick. He was the big shot, the, the highest official, the highest Jewish official in Jerusalem. And so it was um, because this arrest of Jesus was such a major thing. 
Uh, what they were going to do was going to go contrary to what their normal, normal customs practices were, even what their laws stated in the way they were going to try him. And so by taking him to first to Annis and getting his approval was going to be part of their process of, of uh, making this happen. So they go to Annas, uh, then to the palace of Caiaphas, and there's, they're there for some initial questioning, and they're trying to get the, the members of the Sanhedrin to come so they can have a quorum, at least, of, 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 deliberative, of this deliberative body to pronounce the sentence of death on, on Jesus. And so this first part is just the initial questioning, then the second part happens... Uh, where the, the body is there of the Sanhedrin and they, they uh, do the questioning and they announce their judgment that Jesus should die. And it's during those, the second and the third stages of this trial that uh, we're going to be finding part of our story today with, um, with Peter uh, denying Christ. Then uh, from there they take him to Pilate and um, from and Pilate sends him to Herod, and Herod could find no fault in him. Sends him back to Pilate. Pilate, of course, has found no fault in him. But uh, because of the things that are going on um, and the pressures he's under, as we talked about last week, uh, releases him to the Jews to be crucified. And so he is crucified. It is during the fourth scene, the one that where they first bring him to Pilate, that uh, Jesus told Pilate that he had come to testify of the truth and that those who are of the truth hear his voice. We talked about this last week. And, and it's here at this point in this fourth uh, trial that we hear Pilate's woeful response. What is truth? And... Um, and so the, the whole part of that is um, how kind of mankind res- responds to God. Mankind gets into this place of darkness, can't see the light, doesn't really want to see the light, is content with the darkness, but muddles around searching for meaning and never quite gets there. And what we talked about last week is the meaning of life is standing right before him. And he turns and walks away from it. He just turns from it. He can't see it. But Jesus is the meaning of life. He is the ultimate reality. And I had this quote that I wanted to bring um, to you. Whoops. There we go. Um, A quote from Chuck Colson in his book called The Body. And I wanted to to review it with you again. where he talks about ultimate reality, he says Christianity is not some religious structure or social social institution. That's what most religions are, right? <coughs> it is not merely a set of beliefs or creeds about the nature of reality. It's not just a philosophical discussion. Okay, um, the Christian faith rests in the truth, ultimate reality. The Christian experience begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ made possible as men and women are declared righteous by their faith. These born-again individuals then constitute a new society that points to the coming kingdom, which is centered in, on the core of all meaning, the God who was, 
who is and who is to come and the God who has revealed himself in human history. That's what our lessons really have been about since we started in Genesis, right? This whole thing is about that is, is God revealing himself to man. And in the fact that in Christianity, what we are about really is that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so, um, that's the ultimate reality that's standing right before Pontius Pilate and he can't see it. And in fact, most of Jerusalem can't see it. Uh, but as we will see when we get into the book of Acts, people began to see it, right? The Holy Spirit begins to turn the light on for them and, and begin to see a lot of people coming to follow Christ and the truth to come into the light from the darkness. And it's an amazing awakening when that happens. And so, um, I don't want to get ahead of it because that's not our lesson today, but that is what we'll, that's what's coming. That's what we know has happened from uh, the book of Acts. All right, uh, this next slide, this is a picture of a, uh, a model that has been made. Um, they have one of these in Jerusalem uh, in one of the hotels, and it's a, it's a model of uh, the palace of Caiaphas. So this is where um, a structure something like this um, would have been where those second and third trials took place. And this is where uh, Peter uh, would have been confronted with who he is and denied uh, that he was a follower of Jesus. Before we um, get right to that, uh, I want to kind of set the stage for, for Peter and really for all the disciples what they have gone through and how they got to this, this place um, where they are, because they all scattered, right? All the disciples scattered. Um, uh, Peter wasn't the only one that fell away, but um, the last teachings of Jesus, uh, he's preparing them for what is to come. And he knows that at the end of it, they're going to be there. They're going to be solid. Uh, so he, he's his he has a long look uh, as he's teaching them things, but he's throwing a lot of stuff at them at this point. When you read John uh, 14 through 16, um, there's a lot there uh, for them to be absorbing all at once. And, and so that could have been part of, you know, the, the th things that's going on in their minds. But he, he starts with the symbolism of the bread and the wine which is not um, overly uh, difficult for them. They're used to symbolic things in, in their uh, religious uh, practice, right? So something like this um, is not new. So when Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you, eat this in remembrance of me. And this is my blood, which is shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Um, they see this as symbols. They're not seeing that he's actually his body's going to be broken, literally. His blood is literally going to be shed. He's going to die. They're not thinking that. He has told them he, and so on, but they're still, that just isn't, isn't clicking in their minds that, that something terrible is going to happen to Jesus. It's just not uh, getting through to them. They're, they're, so they're seeing things symbolically. Uh, he says to them, I'm going to prepare a place for you, so I'm leaving. And remember, Thomas says, well, where are you going? And, you know, how do we know the way? Uh, but he says, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
he tells them that the father will give you another helper um they really don't know what that means either um he says i am the true vine abide in me um and this is a big a big teaching that he spends a lot of time on he also tells them that you will be outcasts and they will they will kick you out of the synagogues um and and then he also tells them a, a, a warning for just the next few hours and days he says you will weep and lament but your grief will be turned into joy all these things are rattling around in their mind as they go into the garden of gethsemane and they're there with jesus and jesus prays and and uh you remember that scene you know it's 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 late at night and and uh they fall asleep and jesus awakens them and the sound of the soldiers is coming and then there's the shock that judas is the one who betrays jesus and that must have been a huge shock for them you know how does this happen and so and then they see the peaceable arrest of jesus and the scattering of the disciples that that Jesus doesn't resist and they know he has the power. They know they've seen his power. They know he has the power to resist and he instead submits to, to the arrest and goes and they scatter. And so, so then uh, all of that is going through your mind. That's kind of the mindset I wanted to kind of bring Peter into. Um, I, I take kind of a sympathetic view of Peter uh, with this, uh, because, um, I know I'm no better than that. Um, I, I, I have a lot of actually of admiration for Peter, um, as, as he progresses through his, his life. John and Peter seem to gather their wits and courage. So can you imagine they, they scatter and, and they go find some place of, of refuge where they think they'll be safe. And they begin to talk. You know, what do we do now? And uh, John and Peter, they decide, well, let's go to the, to the high priest's place. They probably took him there since the, some of the soldiers were from the, the, the high priest's place. And so, um, so they gather their wits and their courage and they meet up with a company of the soldiers taking Jesus from the place of Annas to the place of Caiaphas and uh, they get there right about that time that they're there and so we're going to pick up um, our reading at that point all four gospels relate the three denials of Peter and uh, we'll be looking at uh, just some the account from two of them and so we'll read through it in that way so let's turn to John 18 And we'll pick it up in verse 18, or verse 15, rather. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. And we are sure this is John, because John, through his gospel, almost never names himself when, when it's in the narrative. It's, he always kind of goes around about in, 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 in identifying himself. So 
it's it's john and so now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with jesus into the court of the high priest but peter was standing at the door outside so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought peter in then the slave girl who kept the door said to peter you are not also one of this man's disciples are you he said i am not now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire for it was cold and they were warming themselves and Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. And so that's the first the first denial, the first scene. Uh, John, it seems, has some connection uh, with the high priest. We don't know what it is. Um, really don't know it could be one of the things i thought is maybe he's related to this this maid that opens it she's the doorkeeper uh maybe he is a rel uh, she's a relative and and that's the only thing i could think of um because they they don't travel in in the same camp at all the high priest uh who is a sadducee uh who is a levite um totally different camps than john who is from galilee um, and whose family is from up there. They're in completely different places. So what their connection is, we don't know. Um, we just know that there is one because it's related here. And, and so John goes back and gets Peter inside. But John, it seems, goes on to where to follow the group to go into where the trial is actually going to take place. Peter stays out in the courtyard. Um, by himself with the other soldiers and and uh, and um, employees of the high priest, they're standing there around uh, the fire. So it, he gets then confronted, and it could be the first question is kind of an innocuous one in that she knows John and probably knows John is a follower of Jesus, and and John went to get Peter, so she's making a connection that way. And she may have been making it like, what do you want me to take you where John is? But we don't, again, that's, that's speculation on my part. Uh, but it could have been something like that. Uh, another, one of the writers I read uh, described it as um, a situation where Peter um, is stay, has stayed out there in the courtyard and he is... Um, confused as you know all this stuff is has happened it's completely unplanned it's it's come out of the blue um he knows or is pretty sensitive to what is is happening with jesus he knows he he's he's pretty got a pretty good clue that this isn't going to a good place this is unless jesus you know performs some miracle and but uh, this isn't going to end well and he's trying to just, you know, he's just trying to put things together in his mind because this isn't what he expected. He expected Jesus to be king, you know, and, and, and to really kind of come in and rescue Israel. Uh, that's that's his expectation. And so the, the question comes to him, are you one of his disciples? And his his immediate response was defensive, not only for himself, but for Jesus. See, he's not on trial. So why should he be confronted with questions? And furthermore, should should he try to protect Jesus? Because he doesn't know what Jesus is doing. He doesn't know where Jesus is going with this. And so he doesn't want to um, add 
any kind of evidence to um, to what to Jesus guilt before the Sanhedrin. Um, that was a speculation on this one writer, um, but it, it really made some sense that, that Peter is completely forgotten what he had said a few hours earlier about, I will never deny you. He's completely forgotten what Jesus had told him. Uh, that's not even in his mind. And so, um, yeah, there's probably a fear factor, but there's probably other factors as well. Certainly confusion is one of the things that's going on in Peter's mind. Okay, now let's go to uh, Luke chapter 22. And read verse 59 to 62. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We did skip the second denial. I'm sorry about that. Verse 25 of John chapter 18 uh, is, is a very similar to the first one. Uh, he's confronted with a question. He denies it. Here we have the third denial. And what we have in this part of the denial is um, an hour, is, it says, has passed. So the questioning, what has happened in between? You've had the Sanhedrists rushing in to to form the quorum and the uh the trial has taken place the third trial and now they are leaving and jesus is left with uh, up in this tower area he is left with uh the the soldiers and and the other people around mocking him and and uh and doing all kinds of bad things to him and saying things to him but he's by a window apparently and he looks down into the courtyard as the rooster crows Peter looks up and sees Jesus looking at him and that's this this poignant connection that takes place uh, Peter knows that Jesus knows and Jesus knows Peter knows he knows and there's this 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 connection that's that's there and um immediately it says he was filled with grief filled with sorrow and he left the courtyard went out and wept bitterly it says um the the promise that peter had made is in, we see it in mark Chapter 14, uh, 26 to 31, he says, After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. 
But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same thing also. Peter had been really bold and confident in his steadfastness for Jesus. And when the arrest happened, you remember, he's the one that drew the sword. He's ready to fight. And he was ready to die. He was ready to give his life for Jesus. But what Peter couldn't handle was the change of circumstances, the unexpected events, and the direction things were going with Jesus. And he was confused and he was afraid and he didn't know where this was going. And so he was in a place that he wasn't prepared for. And the, one of the, the problems of his preparation was his confidence was in himself, in his own, in his love for Jesus. He believed that his, his uh, high sense of love for Jesus would, would hold him steadfast, uh, would, would enable him to be able to endure anything. There is a contrasting character <coughs> to Peter that we do need to talk about. And that is uh, Judas. And we'll talk a little bit about Jesus. Uh, Judas, his reaction was different, right? He, um, he also was sorrowful. He had delivered Jesus, Jesus to um, the the Sanhedrin to the high priests uh, after he had made a deal with them. And then his reaction afterwards was, was deep remorse and felt like he had betrayed an innocent man. Those were his words and tried to return the money to the, um, to the, the priests and they refused to take it. And when he said to them, but I have, I have, falsely delivered a, a, an innocent man their response was what is that to us they're very cold and uh, Ju Judas threw the money then at the, the temple steps ran off and, and then uh, committed suicide and so what's the difference between the two the two um, uh, both felt sorrow but there is a big difference and in, in really uh, the number one thing is Judas' unbelief. He did not believe. Um, after being with Jesus all those years, you know, three years of um, doing ministry, of, of seeing and observing all the, the works that Jesus did, hearing all the teaching, um, it couldn't change his heart. There was something inside of him. And in John chapter 6, verse 70 and 71 it it um jesus is describing his his 12 and he says but one of you is a devil so jesus knows at that point that that one of them judas he knew it was judas um was of the evil side uh, he knew that that that's that's part of what Judas was that he would he would not um, be a repentant sinner um, in John chapter 13 he's described as being unclean 
uh, where Jesus says, all of you have been cleaned, but one of you is unclean. Uh, that's when Jesus is washing their feet, and they, they want to uh, say, well, wa- Peter says, wash all of me. And Peter says, or Jesus says to them, no, you are all clean, except one of you is unclean. Referring to the fact that, that Judas never had repented, never had really given his heart um, over to Christ to, to follow after Christ in that way, like the others had. Uh, Judas, or yeah, Judas was unclean. Then uh, another one is in the prayer. The prayer of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is praying for uh, the protection of these disciples that he has been training, except for the son of perdition. And so there was this exception that was there, Brian. Psalm 41, verse 9. Well, you know what? I'll take a look at that. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, he lifted up his heel against me. And that, that would certainly describe Judas. Um, so Judas, Jesus already knows the kind of person Judas is. And that's not going to change because we only change through repentance and faith. That's how we change. And Judas had not gone that journey and never would. And so Matthew 26, I do want us to look at that. Matthew chapter 20, uh, 26. Verse 14. This is right after Mary had anointed Jesus' feet. And uh, the protest of Judas was this ointment could have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus rebuked him. And so this right after this, it says, Then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Then look down at verse 20. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Judas had already begun the betrayal, taken the money, and he's still hiding. Right, he's hiding. Um, one of the significant things about this is um, Jesus' statement that it would have been good for this man if he'd never been born. It does tell us of the permanence of eternal destruction. There's no hope for this man. 
no hope. Uh, the universalist doctrine that ultimately everyone gets to heaven is not true. If it were true, Jesus would not have said this about Judas. Um, there is no hope. This is, is, is a very heavy, heavy thought. Um, but that is, is uh, Judas, his destiny. That's his life. Yes. So the question is, isn't it, well, isn't it part of the sovereign plan of God to that where Judas had a role to play? Um, yes, it is. And so Judas is part of the 12. But see, here's where, here's where we get into the stuff that we don't understand. Um, and I, I, I am at a loss to ever explain it. But, but we, we do see that the vessels made for good and the vessels made for bad. And that is in God's sovereign hand. Right, and and that is it, the same was it if it wasn't good that because he's going to be in hell. Um, Yes, he had a role to play, as does everyone that's ever born. This is the amazing thing. When you think about the billions of people that are born, every single person has a role to play. Everyone in the story that God is, is writing and has planned from the beginning. Every single person has a role to play. Um, and <coughs> that's part of the mystery that's part of the majesty of God. And that's where we need to bow before that. Okay, the question is, yeah, the question is, how do we answer this question? If Judas is doing God's will, then why is it he doesn't get to go to heaven? Paul asks that same question, or he presents the question in Romans chapter 9. And uh, because what he does, he talks about um, Jacob and Esau, talks about Pharaoh, uh, who God hardened his heart. And so he answers that he he addresses the question. He doesn't answer it. He addresses the question, and then he's, he by raising it, uh, and then he he answers it this way by saying, "We don't get to go there." He says the the clay does not have the right to question the potter, and so that's kind of where we are on that. <laughs> it's you know we don't. We don't get to question God on that. Well, this verse that in John 7 and 70, it says, Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you 
Right. So he chose Judas. Judas is there deliberately. Yeah. And he does have a role to play. Right, Judas was. That's something I pondered yesterday. Yeah. Right. I don't know if there's ever been a person in human history that has felt more alone than what Judas felt at that moment. He couldn't go back to his his buddies, the, the disciples, because they all saw what he did. Um, he couldn't go back to society, to regular society, because they see him as a traitor. And they, they, that's the way they talk to him. And so when he threw the money at, at this temple steps and walks away, he walks away alone. He has nowhere to go. And he can't go to God because, you know, he, he, he's, he's in unbelief. He has nowhere to go. He's completely alone. And wh- is there a darker place than that? It's, it's hell. That's, you know, it, it's almost like he's already there. Um, I need, there was, yeah, okay, I, I really need to move on, Brian, because I'm not even halfway through here. Well, kind of. All right. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I just wiped it out. I hit the wrong button. Thank you. All right, so... Um, one of the things we do see this there's there's some uh, scriptures that talk about what real repentance is. Second Corinthians seven nine to ten says, "I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation." But the sorrow of the world produces death. And this, I think, really helps clarify the contrast between Peter and Judas. There's this big difference. Peter's sorrow was going to lead him to repentance. Why? Because he believed. Judas' sorrow could not lead him to, to repentance because he didn't believe. And so the only place his sorrow could take him was to death. Uh, that's the only possibility he had. All right, let's move to the good part. 
the restoration. And I want us to go to John chapter 21. And just to also point out a difference, all four Gospels, as I said before, uh, relate the uh, experience of the, the denials, the three denials. Only John records the restoration. Um, John and Peter seem to have had a unique relationship that is very close. And so, as you know, uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples twice um, in the upper room, and then he was going to go to Galilee. And so they were to go to Galilee as well. And so they go up there. Peter says, let's go fishing. So they go out on the lake. They don't catch anything all night. And in the morning, there's this stranger walking down the the shoreline says, how's the fishing? And ah, it's terrible. We got skunked. And he says, well, throw the net on the other side. That sounded familiar. And sure enough, the nets fill up. And, and uh, then John says, it is the Lord. And Peter puts on his cloak, jumps in the water, and, and, and uh, gets into the, into the shoreline. They pull the fish up. There's a lot of fish. And uh, Jesus has built a fire. And they're sitting around the fire uh, eating uh, fish tacos. And, uh, and, and they're enjoying that, that communion time with Jesus, very special time for breakfast. And, um, but there's unfinished business and everyone knows it. All the disciples know what, what Peter has done by this time. Um, John certainly knows about it, but they all know. And probably because Peter told them what he did. He, He probably went back and, uh, said you know guys the thing i said i wouldn't do guess what i did it and 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 i'm sure that the the weight of that is still heavy on him and it's 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 kind of that i don't know if it's as much as an elephant in the room but it's sort of that unspoken thing that you know how is this going to be you know do we just go on do we just pretend like it never happened hey how do we deal with this and this is a great example of the biblical confrontation that happens uh, with with people to to bring people back because we sin and we need to know how to get back and Jesus provides this way in such a, an amazing and, and gracious way and yet effective way this is this is what's so powerful about it so let's let's read in um Verse 15, begin there. It says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. 
So what we have here is uh, Jesus going through with Peter this this restoration in a, in a way of almost like administering medicine to a sick man. <coughs> Peter denied Jesus beside a fire. Now the process of restoration is beside a fire. And that's an interesting um, common thing. Jesus calls him Simon, son of John. Jesus probably hadn't called him Simon, son of John since the very first time they met. Remember, Jesus said, you're Peter, you're the rock. But here he's back to Simon, son of John. And so uh, Jesus is is going back and giving Peter this this opportunity then to kind of grow through this restoration process. He says, do you love me more than these? And people have debated what do these mean? Does he mean the fish? Does he mean the other disciples? Does he mean other things? I think he does mean the other disciples. And it's based upon this. Um, and, and this is what I, this isn't just my opinion. Um, I did read this in other places. But um, remember Peter said, if everyone leaves you, I will not leave you. I will stay with you. And I think Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these do? And it's a reminder that Peter had in that sense. I don't think he intended to boast, but it came out that way um, to, to say, I love you more than they do. I will stick with you. And now Jesus is putting that question to him. Do you love me more than these do? That's that's my opinion of what what is being said here. But Peter has has already demonstrated that you know what he, his love isn't any better than theirs, right? He's 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 just a guy. Um, and so there's this this great drawing uh, that Jesus takes him through, asking him three times, matching three denials. And uh, bringing Peter back to this, and each with each question comes a directive: feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He's given Peter a great responsibility. This isn't some little thing. Jesus is rescuing Peter and, and pulling him back because he has. Um, a lot for Peter to do. And as we will see in the book of Acts, Peter does a lot. Peter is one of the the um, stars, if you will, of the disciples. He's one of the mo- most known. He's the leader, and, and he's the one that's going to be the most outspoken. And God's going to use him powerfully. Jesus is bringing him back to that place of being usable. So he's he drawing him out of his place of shame, his his place of remorse, and bring him back in front of all the other guys so that they know that Jesus has placed his approval and placed responsibility back onto Peter. And it's a very significant part of, of what Jesus is doing here. I have a quote here 
from Alfred Edersheim in the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. His whole thing, if you ever, if you've never read his, his, uh, this book, uh, it's amazing. And, um, it's, it's, it would be hard to read through this whole narrative without shedding tears because of the way he writes it and then so describes things. But this is what he says. Yes, and Peter did love the Lord Jesus. He loved him when he said it. Um, only too confident in the strength of his feelings that he would follow the master even unto death. And Jesus saw it all, yea, and how this love of the ardent temperament which had once made him rove at wild liberty would give place to patient work of love and be crowned with the martyrdom which, when the beloved disciple wrote, was already a matter of the past. And the very manner of death by which he was to glorify God was indicated in the words of Jesus. As you probably know, um, that that history relates that Peter was crucified in Rome. And that was how he died by the emperor Nero. That was in AD 67. Um, it's believed that the gospel of John, which uh, relates this was, was written between 85 and 95. So, so John in writing this is, is already knows how this ends for Peter and how Peter is faithful all the way through, uh, all the way through to the end. And so um, this is um, how it ends for Peter. And what an amazing restoration. What an amazing story. All right. So what do we do with this? One of the lessons for us is that we need to be um, able to recognize whether our love for Jesus is buttressed by the strength of our feelings or by the clear-eyed view of how dependent we are upon God. Peter really thought he could handle it. And there are times, and I, I'm sure all of you know exactly how this feels. Uh, have experienced it yourself. You know, we, we get to that place where we think, yeah, I'm strong. I can handle uh, the temptation. I can handle whatever it comes until we get thrown into that situation where we're not ready for it. And it's because we're dependent upon our strength, our abilities, and not staying close in our walk with God. We need to be able to be really um, aware and cautious in our self-confidence. Uh, true repentance, another thing to, to realize is true repentance is what leads to restoration. And that's what God wants to give to us, right? Restoration. He wants us to be effective. He, but he also wants us to have a full life, abundant life. That's what he has for us. He doesn't want us to be wallowing in our guilt, but we're going to have to deal with it. We have to confront the guilt, confront the sin, and then and deal with it in the appropriate ways. Um, that is true repentance. And let's remember, it's people like this that God's chosen to do his work. God didn't create any super saints. Um, now it's just us. But he's so amazing. He can accomplish his work using people like us. Um, that's how powerful he is.
Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Um, Again, that that, uh, idea of of being very careful. Uh, Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Another thought that uh, I had with this is that Jesus prayed for Peter's faith not to fail and that Jesus is on the throne right now interceding for us praying for our faith not to fail too so we can take comfort that when we are believers when we truly believe that he's holding us and that that our our failures don't have to be permanent we can come back there is restoration for us Finally, the last thing. The only way the disciples, and especially Peter, could have gone on to serve God in the name of Jesus is if Jesus did rise from the dead and then restore Peter to service. The resurrection is real. Um, the, the, The disciples, they wouldn't have gone on after this without Jesus bringing them back together and Jesus then empowering them. Um, This restoration was important it mattered for the future for what what jesus had planned for them to do and so it it happened and uh this is another way we can have confidence in what the scripture says because uh there have been faithful men and women for for generations for two thousand years now since carrying on the same message message of faith that our hope is in the faith in god uh, through our repentance of our sins, acknowledging that and being forgiven. And forgiveness is what we need. All right, let's close in prayer. Holy Father, thank you again for the teachings that we get from your word and the comfort that it brings us, knowing that um, the power is not in us, it's in you, and that we rest in your power. And may our confidence truly be able to rest in what you do in our lives. We give you thanks so much for um, forgiving us and forgiving us, giving us life, giving us a, a new way, a new destiny and hope for um, the tomorrow that you create. And so we just give thanks for that. I ask your blessing upon all of these today. In Jesus name. Amen.